Once again, welcome. So glad you guys came to join us. This is our Sunday gathering of City Light Church. And uh, my name is Gavin. I'm one of the pastors here. Elena, so proud of you. Thank you for writing the Word of God in your heart, uh, reciting it in front of a whole bunch of people. That's really cool. Anyone else want to do 10 verses real quick? Open mic. Okay, just checking. Just checking. Hey, it's a real privilege. Uh, If you're new, most of the time you'll hear uh, one of our four pastors preaching the Bible. But from time to time, uh, we get to... uh, enjoy the teaching of, of someone else. And today is really no guest preacher in any way, uh, someone that's been a part of the church from the very beginning, and his name is Paul Schlieker. And he was a personal friend and mentor of mine, as well as a preaching coach uh, for several years before planting City Light. And uh, Chris early on, uh, Chris and I early on asked uh, Paul and his wife if they would help us to plant this church as we felt God's prompting to do so, and he was very generous to do so. Uh, vocationally, his calling is to Prudential, where he sells life insurance. Uh, additionally, he writes a number of, uh, has written a number of books, and uh, his heart for he and his wife is discipleship. How can we know and follow Jesus? And they love to write very practical tools uh, to help people grow in their faith. And so uh, he's published a number of different books, uh, one of which is called Bible Basics. And one of the reasons we asked him to preach this week is because two Sundays from now on the 19th, Paul and Peggy are going to teach a class uh, using the book that they've written six weeks on Believer's Bible's Basics. So one of the fun things about the story that God is writing through City Light is uh, so many of you guys in the room are brand new Christians. Just in the last year and a half, 150 baptisms, so many people are meeting Jesus for the first time, and there's a real felt need of how do I read my Bible? How do I know who God is? Uh, What are demons? What is the Bible? One was some very foundational stuff. Uh, Now, a city group is a great place to grow in your faith and be discipled, uh, but this is a short-term six-week tool um, that'll just help you. What are some of the basics? They're going to do a great job holding your hand, going to be very valuable. So if you're a new Christian, would encourage you to sign up for this. Uh, You have some new Christians in your life uh, or some people who are investigating the faith. This would be a great tool for them to learn. You can sign up at the Get Connected table in the back, and uh, this will be your resource. It's five bucks. You just pay when you go to your very first class. And again, it's written by Paul and his wife, Peggy. Now, uh, this morning, he's going to share with us, this is in no way his first time. Paul has preached five times in the, in the almost two-year history of City Light Church. So we've been blessed by his teaching. Now, it's been almost a year since he's been up here and uh, a busy man, but we convinced him to fill the pulpit one more time. We're going to uh, be blessed to hear from him. So would you put your hands together and welcome up Paul Schlieker. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Gavin. Thank you for those kind words. And it's good to be with you. And I would like to ask you to please take your Bible, take your Bible now, and please open to the book of 1 John. Please find chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to start with verse 18. As you do that, I want to say it's a real privilege for Peggy and I to be members of City Light Church. We appreciate and respect our pastors so much. Gavin, Chris, Tyler, Doug, they do such a great job. Don't you think that they do a great job? Let's thank them for being our pastors. It's very good. I want to talk to you this morning about overcoming deception. Years ago, growing up in the city of Denver, I joined the Denver Table Tennis Club. And every Monday night, I went to the downtown YMCA and played ping pong against the best players in the city of Denver. 
On my very first night, I was intimidated and overwhelmed. I played 15 games and didn't get one point. I was beat 21 to nothing, 15 games in a row. I think they liked me because the games didn't take very long. In the first century, there were many Christians who were also feeling intimidated and overwhelmed. So the Apostle John wrote them a letter that we call 1 John to remind them of the truth and help them deal with the deception that they were facing. So let's listen to what he told them. And this morning, let's find out how God is going to help us. Follow along with me. The words will be on the screen. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it may become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you, have all, you all have knowledge. And I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, who, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about, to, things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, Abide in Him. Now today we're going to talk about overcoming deception. And from this passage, I want to explain to you very simply and clearly three keys. The first key to overcoming deception is to know the times. I'm only going to touch on this briefly, but two times in verse 18. John says, it is the last hour. Now, this refers to the period of history in which we are living. And in the Bible, the phrases like the last times, the last days, the end days, the, the last hour, these are all referring to the same concept. Jesus said that the last hour would be marked by these things, wars, famines, persecution, increased wickedness, and unequal distress. But most of all, lots of liars, lots of deceivers. Lots of false Christs, many false prophets, many false teachers, many false leaders. Years ago when Paul Bear Bryant was the head coach of the University of Alabama, there was a game where they were favored, heavily favored to win, and Alabama lost. During the post-game interview, Coach Bryant was asked, how do you feel about losing a game that you should have won? 
He replied, what should have happened did. His point was, given that we played so badly and given that they played so well, the game turned out exactly as it should have. What should have happened did happen. Kind of like last night. It turned out as it should have. Do you get the feeling, by watching the internet, watching TV, that things are unraveling all around the world? Do you get that feeling? Jesus would tell us, given that the last hour would be marked by wars, persecution, wickedness, and distress, what should have happened in the world is happening in the world. History is turning out exactly as it should. My friends, it is the last hour. We are in the last hour. The storm is not coming. The storm is here. This is our hour. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. We are all, by the providence of God, living in the last hour. So the first key to overcoming deception is know the times. The second key to overcoming deception is to know the threat. Now stay with me because we have a number of moving parts here. John is the only New Testament author who uses the term antichrist. No other apostle writing in the New Testament actually uses that phrase. He's the only one that says antichrist. These false teachers were also called false Christs. False prophets, false, false apostles. We really, the truth is, we really don't know very much about them except that they were frauds. They didn't really believe in Jesus and they were not sent by God. Now, at this time, John was probably the only original apostle still living. Do you ever think about that? That of all the original apostles, John was probably the only original apostle still living. And so if anybody could, st- could spot a counterfeit religious leader, it was probably John. Because as a true apostle, he knew what to look for. When our daughter Carrie entered the first grade, Peggy had a little talk with her about what she might see and hear at school. And I remember Peggy said, Honey, I just want you to know that Other kids might say some words that you've never heard before. And if you hear one of those words, I want you to tell me what it was so we can talk about it. Well, one day, innocent little Carrie came home from school and said, Mom, today I heard somebody say blankety blank blank blank. Well, of course, Peggy was horrified. And then Carrie thought she had done something wrong and Peggy saw that and said, oh, I'm sorry, Carrie, I didn't mean to make you feel bad because you didn't do anything wrong. I told you to tell me these words. And in a disgusted tone of voice, Carrie looked up at her mom and said, Mom, if this is all that important, can't you just make me a list of these words so we don't have to go through this every night? (laughs) Can't you see Carrie with a little three-by-five card out on the playground? Yep, number seven, yep. Yeah, we don't say that. That's bad. (laughs) My friends, the Apostle John knew what to look for, and he actually gave us a list. 
He told them that these antichrists, these false teachers, and this list is on your program, by the way. Number one, they denied that Jesus was really God. That's what you look for. They denied that Jesus was really human. Listen for that. They, number three, they denied that Jesus really came from heaven. They denied that Jesus is the Messiah, God's Savior and King. They taught things that made God out to be a liar. And here was what is most deceiving about these false teachers is originally they came from inside the church. Number six, they were former church leaders who left the fellowship. In short, these false teachers were liars and counterfeits, but what made them so dangerous is they disguised themselves as Christians, and the same thing still happens today. Back in the 1950s, an American named Jim Jones started a church called the People's Temple. It began in Indiana, moved to California, and ended up in Guyana, South America. As a child, Jim Jones studied communist leaders and concluded that the best way to promote Marxism was to infiltrate the church. As his following grew, Jones combined a social gospel with communist beliefs. He would preach, if you were born in capitalist America, you were born in sin. But if you were born in socialism, you were not born in sin. In the 1970s, Jones began preaching that he was the reincarnation of Gandhi, Jesus of Nazareth, Buddha, and Lenin. Jones was not a humble preacher. He was a celebrity personality with a huge ego. A former temple member quoted him as saying, What you need to believe in is what you see. If you see me as your friend, I'll be your friend. If you see me as your father, I'll be your father. If you see me as your savior, I'll be your savior. And if you see me as your God, I'll be your God. But despite public endorsements by state governors and presidential candidates, when allegations of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse were reported by their own members, Jones abruptly moved his followers to Guyana. In November 1978, California Congressman Leo Ryan, along with some reporters and close relatives, conducted an official investigation. They went to Guyana and were in Jonestown only one day. And as they were boarding their airplanes to leave, Ryan and four others were shot to death by Jones' armed guards. Later that very same day, knowing that it was over, Jim Jones ordered all of the inhabitants of Jonestown to commit suicide by drinking cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. 910 people died. 303 of them were children. It was the greatest single loss of American civilian life in a deliberate act until 9-11. Jones was a fraud who disguised himself as a church leader He led people astray, and he cost people their lives. My friends, this is a real threat. And our job is to make sure that we are not deceived by any religion that believes in God but not in Jesus. Our job is to make sure that we are not deceived by any religion that teaches ideas that do not originate from or align with the Bible. 
Our job is to make sure that we are not deceived by any religion that makes reference to Jesus, but then diminishes his importance. For example, there are modern-day religions who refer to Jesus, and I put this on your program, modern-day religions who refer to Jesus as a prophet and nothing more. Modern-day religions who refer to Jesus as created and not from heaven, as a good person and not the Son of God, as a spirit child born in heaven alongside his brother Lucifer who became Satan. They refer to Jesus as someone who died, but not for the sins of the entire world. The bottom line is that not all religions that refer to Jesus are Christian. A number of years ago, Peggy and I worked with a Chinese couple who became believers and then moved to another city. Now, they were very new believers, and so after they got settled, they called us on the phone and they asked us, what church should we go to? Now, think about it. You have a friend that you saw come to the Lord. Now your friend moves to another city, and they call you on the phone and say, what church should we go to? How do you answer? We said, it doesn't matter what the name of the church is. What matters is, does the church have a high view of Jesus and a high view of the Bible? And they said, you know, that's really interesting because we attended a church just a couple weeks ago, and we sensed that it wasn't Christian. And I said, well, how did you know that? And they said, because they never talked about Jesus and they never opened their Bible. Now, my friends, there is basically two reasons that Peggy and I are members of City Light Church. Reason number one is that City Light Church is a Christian church. And the reason I know that it's a Christian church is because at City Light Church, there is a very high view of Jesus and there's a very high view of the Bible. And the second reason... I'm a member of City Light, is that back in 2012, Gavin and Chris came to my house and said, come help us, we need old people. <laughs> so I don't know how you got here, but I'm here because I'm old, like a special pass or something. Men and women, listen to me. Listen to me. Look at me. What makes a church a Christian church is not its name. Don't ever think it's a name. What makes a church a Christian church, it's not its name. And it's not its size. And it's not its bylaws. And it's not its level of community outreach. What makes a church a Christian church is the way it regards Jesus and the Bible. And that's what we have here. Know the threat. The threat is real. And the third key to overcoming deception is to know the truth. In the Bible, truth is a person, not a principle. This is a very hard concept for most of us to get our minds around. But in the Bible, truth is a person not a principle. Jesus said, Jesus did not say, I know a lot of truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And there are two sources of truth that were in his life, and those two sources were God's word and God's spirit. 
Now, this is probably best seen in Luke chapter 4. Jesus goes into a synagogue in Luke chapter 4, and at a very special moment, he stands up to read. The Bible says that there was an attendant, and so the attendant went up to Jesus as he was ready to read in front of this crowd at the synagogue, and he hands him a scroll, and it is the scroll of Isaiah. And Jesus unrolls the scroll as he stands in the front of the synagogue, and he reads the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news. Now freeze that frame in your mind and just picture that. Can't you see Jesus himself standing in front of a synagogue, holding the scroll of Isaiah in his hand, and looking at the crowd and saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. There it is. He had the Bible in his hands. And he said, the Spirit was on my life. See it? The emphasis of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Jesus was certain of the Scriptures. And he was conscious of God's presence. The simultaneous and and equal emphasis of the Word of God and the Spirit of God are the two absolute sources of truth for his life and ours, and that's what we want to emphasize today. In fact, in 1 John, the same two sources of truth are equally emphasized. This is on your program. Chapter 2, verse 14, you are strong, and the Word of God lives in you. Verse 24, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. Verse 20, you have been anointed by the Holy One. Verse 20, the anointing you have received from him abides in you. And verse 27, his anointing teaches you about everything and is true. Now, just so we're clear, the anointing is the Holy Spirit. The anointing is referring to the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Bible times, when kings and priests were anointed for their special role, they knelt down and they literally had people stand over them and pour oil, literal oil, out on top of their heads to signify their special purpose and their special role. The Bible teaches that when the church began, the Holy Spirit was poured out onto those who were present who believed in the name of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 1, referring to Christians, it says God has anointed us, put his seal on us, and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And that is the meaning in the text that we just read of chapter 2, verse 25. Eternal life is a never-ending relationship with God that begins right now and is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit who is living in our hearts to last forever. God's Word, God's Spirit, the two absolute sources of truth. On my next birthday, I'll be uh, 62. But what most people don't know about me is that until I was 35... I had a relationship with God that was good enough to get me to heaven, but not quite good enough to get me through the day. But about that time, Jesus had mercy on me and began a new work in me and helped me discover the truth that I was missing. 
And at that time, the first thing that Jesus taught me was to view the Bible as a voice, not a book. To view the Bible as a voice that is speaking, not a book that was once written. And that changed everything in my life. So now when I ever I open the Bible, I'm, I'm not looking at words on a page. I'm not thinking this is information like I'm reading the World Herald. I look at it as a voice. The voice of God. Not a book that was once written. A voice that is now speaking. A voice that is speaking to me. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And slowly but surely his word began to abide in my heart. Because his voice was in there. I remembered what he was saying. And I sensed a greater confidence that I actually knew the truth. Because the word of God that came from his voice was dwelling in my heart. If I could ask you to do anything as of today, I would ask you to never think of the Bible as a book again. Never. From this day on, mark it. October 5th, 2014. From today on, you view the Bible only as a voice that is speaking. Not a book that was once written. And you're going to hear the voice of God. The second thing that Jesus taught me at that time in my life was to be conscious of his presence. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus lives in you? Slowly but surely, I began to realize that not only did God send his son to die for me, God sent the spirit of his son into my heart. Slowly but surely, I began to realize that the goal of the gospel was not just to get me out of hell and into heaven, but to get God out of heaven and back into me. Slowly but surely, being conscious of his presence has drawn me closer to God. If there's one thing that's missing in the average believer's life of the average church in the United States is that they have a relationship with God that's good enough to heaven, go to heaven, but not quite good enough to get them through the day. And one of the reasons is because they have no conscious awareness that God's Spirit lives within them 24-7. So just think of your own life. Last Wednesday, when you were at your office, or your school, or your home, do you remember being conscious that Christ Jesus himself was living in your heart? When you drove to the building this morning, were you conscious of his presence as you were coming here in your car? No wonder people don't feel very close to God. And no wonder people have a hard time, like me, have a hard time getting through the day. Christ Jesus not only died for us, he gave himself to us, put his spirit in us to live his life through us. Just like you, I'm far from perfect. I have a long way to go, and Jesus is not done with me. But by his word and by his spirit, I'm developing a relationship with God that is good enough to get me through the day. Discovering daily 
who God really is. Thanking him daily, he's mine and I'm his. Discovering daily God's great love for me, such mercy, forgiveness, amazingly free. Discovering daily God speaking to me. He speaks through the Bible. Once blind, now I see. Discovering, discovering each day that I live that all that I need he freely will give. Discovering daily Christ working through me. Accomplishing daily what never could be. Discovering daily I can't, but he can. Thanking him daily for my place in his plan. Delighting and basking in love so divine, secure in the knowledge that I'm his and he's mine. Besides mere contentment, excitement I see, a daily adventure. Christ living in me. So here's the truth. Only Jesus can get us to heaven. And only Jesus can get us through the day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how thankful we are for your abiding word and your indwelling spirit. We thank, that you, thank you that you have taught us to know the times, know the threat, and to know the truth. Oh God, draw near to us as we draw near to you. In the name of our Lord we pray, amen.